Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Mark A. Carpenter. We just talked about, among other things, the Kennewick man who was a body of a indigenous man who had kind of European characteristics. He was found in Washington. But you can listen to that discussion. When we were done talking, he was like, hey, I know a lot of stuff about this other things. One of the things I've always wanted to cover is the Federal Reserve. Uh, well-known book is Creature from Jekyll Island. Jekyll Island was a, or is a club on the coast of Georgia where all these people met in this unconstitutional thing that's not a federal, not a reserve, uh, was created. And it has tons of power. It's an incredibly powerful organization. The ability to uh, contract, constrict credit or release credit, really the opposite too, is uh, very powerful and uh, has a big effect upon all of us. But uh, we're going to talk more about that. So Mark A. Carpenter, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, so for people who didn't hear our last conversation, can you kind of talk about your interests? I know you have, you've researched a lot of different things, including the Federal Reserve. Can you kind of talk about that and what led you into this particular subject matter? Sure. So my, my background... Uh, initially was in archaeology, anthropology, religion, psychology. I was really interested in, in culture and narratives and paradigms and worldviews. Why, why do people believe the things that they do? Uh, always very interested in, in the power of, of narrative. And, and beyond that, I wanted to explore the intersection between narratives and, and the archeological record, the fossil record. Uh, so I, I delve deeply into archeology span and anthropology. I focused on Mesoamerican, Native American, um, biblical, and biblical narratives and, and, and religion and biblical. I'm, I'm a cultural anthropologist. So that's really what led me in, into this. And, and really what, what, what connected it to more modern uh, and more mysterious aspects of society is the occult witchcraft. That aspect of it um, perpetuates throughout human history, and so that's that's how I found myself uh, interested in Jekyll Island. Right. So Jekyll Island, uh, you know, they have all these clubs. There's the Coronado Club in like San Diego. It reminds me of that. Even this architecture, this style, turn of the century, elites going down, right, going to Miami Beach, and this is one of those things, one of those types of clubs that attracted all these men right at the turn of the century, right? That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right at the beginning of the, of the 20th century is when, is when Jekyll Island was booming. <clears throat> Je Jekyll Island is a place with a, a dark and checkered past. She, she's many skeletons in her closet and if deciphered, they really illuminate not just the true history of America, but of the whole world. Uh, I, I will submit to you and in the audience that at Jekyll Island, we have a convergence of the ancient and the modern. And this convergence and this dark shadowy history of this island are they they contain very very profound truths and and uh, and 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 even act as a as a talisman if you will um, to to different times and different places. And what do you say that I mean? You're saying that there's like just the fact that the island goes all the way back to pre-European history. It's important. Is that what you're saying? Well, this is wrapped up in the. The modern day elites. So I, I think ev everyone is is generally familiar with the fact that uh, Jekyll Island has this uh, very exclusive club, and this is where the Federal Reserve was hatched. But what they might not be so aware about is the ancient history of the island and how that relates to 
Native American tradition. And then there is this overlap between Native American tradition and biblical tradition. And, and this gets wrapped up in, uh, as I was describing before, in, in the occult, in the occult and witchcraft and sacred places and, and consecrating um, eras and, and places and, um, and, and oaths, that sort of thing. And um, and uh, yeah, we're I'm I'm ready to to get into it. It's 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 heavy. So Good. just a fair warning, fair warning for everyone. This is um, we're going deep. We're going deep on this one. And so you know, strap on your space cadet helmets. Let's do it. Put on your tinfoil hat and let's go. That's 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 right. Um, so I, I think the best way to approach this is like past, present, and future. So, so we will start with the, the ancient uh, mysteries that are related to this island, and then, and then it, it really all starts to make sense once you get to the, the founding of, of the Federal Reserve. So I think it's important um, to just start with the fact that before, before European colonization, um, there uh, were, were Native American tribes present, and we're, we're aware of that. But there's a mysterious aspect to the to the to the Native Americans and and their the dynamics of their society. And and without getting too deep into all of that, we'll just we'll just rehash really quickly that um, burial mounds were were scattered across the uh, American ancient landscape. And in the mid 19th century, early 20th century, around this same time, and that is very much related. They're um, everywhere. There's millions of them. There's that's right. The, the, I really that's right. You can't overemphasize the degree to which the North American continent was laced with these uh, very mysterious mounds. And they were excavated during this time, again, uh, uh, mid-19th, early 20th century. And this was during the founding, really, of the scientific establishment in America. We're talking about the National Geographic Society, the Cosmos Club, the, the Bureau of Ethnology, which was uh, the precursor to the Smithsonian. So as you can see, the Smithsonian, National Geographic Society, the Cosmos Club, this is the founding of uh, scientific establishment in America. Okay. During these excavations of these mounds, many abnormal skeletons were discovered. They were discovered and then they were discreetly shipped away to the Smithsonian and we won't get into all the evidence and, and trying to prove that case. But for anybody who is interested in that, I direct you to our previous episode and the Kennewick man, who is the smoking gun of the Smithsonian conspiracy. Basically, they concealed the fact that there were abnormal skeletons discovered in these burial mounds. And generally speaking, the abnormality was that they were gigantic in stature. There were some other abnormalities, polydactyly, extra fingers and toes. In some cases, they had double rows of teeth were described. In some cases, abnormal skeleton, or I'm sorry, abnormal craniums, so deformed craniums, and things of this nature. Okay. So, so we, we, we have to uh, keep that in mind. And when we really dig into the, um, the age of discovery, so when, when European colonists, conquistadors, pirates, privateers, um, you know, they were working, of course, for the French crown and the Spanish and the Portuguese and the British, and they were in a rat race feeding frenzy to plunder and and establish 
their crowns uh, new colonies in the new world. Almost all of the chronicles of these early explorers describe encountering giants and cannibals. It, it, it provided a great deal of sensational uh, excitement back in Europe when they uh, reported on these gigantic, savage, cannibalistic inhabitants. And uh, you can find these in, in almost every single explorer's um, uh, chronicles. And I have some of them here uh, just, to, just to run through them really quickly. Please do. Um, yeah, or if you, you got uh, anything you would like to ask or add. I, I, I'm, I'm I just remember uh, the story of the meeting between Hernan Cortez and Moctezuma, where he brought out mm -hmm. an oversized bone. Right. We talked about that. So that's just I was going to say, right. We mentioned that last. Uh huh. We, we, that's a great example. We mentioned that last, uh, last episode. So that's in was it History of the Conquest of New mm -hmm. Mexico? New Mexico, mm -hmm. I think it is, by Bernal Diaz. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, so I have another one here. Uh, here. So in the 1520s, so 1520 AD, Spanish soldier and conquistador, uh, forgive me if I butcher this, Panfilo de uh, Navarres uh, led a disastrous campaign in what is today northern Florida. So northern Florida is just south of, of Jekyll Island. So that is this exact same neighborhood and why this is so relevant. Um, so this invasion, uh, this Sp Spanish invasion was utterly doomed. Uh, they didn't have enough supplies and the, the crew was mutinous and, and they were ultimately ravaged uh, by disease and, and the, the, uh, their objectives failed. But this is what uh, it did yield. Uh, one of Nariz's crew, a man named Alvar, uh, Alvar Nunez Cabeza de Vaca, uh, they so they survived this disaster and uh, made it by raft to the coast of Texas. So we have a surviving account of this disaster. And uh, in Devaca's journal, he describes a violent encounter the soldiers had with native giants as they were crossing a lake in Florida aboard their makeshift vessel. And he says, and I quote, when we attempted to cross the lake, we came under heavy attack from many giant Indians concealed behind the trees. Some of our men were wounded in this conflict for which the good armor they wore did not avail. The Indians we had seen so far were all archers. They go naked and are large of body and appear at a distance like giants. They are admirable of proportions, very spare and great activity and strength. Their bows they use are as thick as a man's arm, of 11 or 12 palms in length, which they discharge at 200 paces with so great precision that they miss nothing. <clears throat> so there we have one of these accounts and there's many more like this. And if you just, if we analyze that a little bit more carefully, he says a bow as thick as a man's arm. I have some experience with archery and a compound bow is, is half of, of my arm. So uh, that's a very massive bow that he's describing. And, and, and he's saying it's lethal at 75 yards, uh, which is also interesting because the, the conquistadors wore armor. Um, so, so that's, that's heavy archery fire to kill a man at, at 75 yards. All right, that's like longbow power. Yeah. Yeah. But there's all kinds of weird accounts of the original inhabitants. There's so many strange accounts of Europeans to, uh, running into natives and the kind of strange stuff they did and knew and the different styles. And some looked like, you know, they the stereotype Hollywood stereotype isn't accurate because, some of these natives were like they had regal qualities. They weren't like pure savages. They were just all different types of uh, different types of areas and civilizations within, uh, even in Georgia too. Like, mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. 
there's yeah. very, they're just doing a show on the accounts of like the early adventures to the um to the new new world as they say it's really not new but uh right. those stories are would yeah. be just an interesting episode in itself because there's there's so many curious things i remember one offhand where like uh french explorers up in canada came across one tribe and they did some ritual every year where they had some animal that they would bury and then resurrect every on three days like they mm. were retell on a cross and so they were almost like retelling the gospel mm -hmm. story on the new world you know 1500 years from that like they might have had some kind of weird connection with somebody who told them about it and they re were replaying it that far away thousands and thousands of miles away that's another interesting story that I remember offhand. That I remember offhand, yeah. That's fascinating. That's that's exactly um, why I was always so interested in in cultural anthropology. And, yeah, and there's Hebrew. There's Hebrew. There's runes. There's like all kinds of stuff all throughout the Great Lake region. Like they're they're not explained. You can't really. Right. I, I was going to say this gets us into the territory of of my main man Barry Fell. So Barry Fell was a Harvard scholar. He was actually a biologist who specialized in like something strange. It was like sea urchins or something. Hmm. But he was also an ethnologist and, and, and an epigrapher and a brilliant uh, uh, one at that. Well not, well, not so much brilliant. He was actually kind of a crappy epigrapher, but he, he was fearless in, in, uh, in terms of uh, challenging the establishment and he wasn't afraid to explore alternative ideas. That's why I say he was a brilliant epigrapher because what Barry Fell discovered was uh, Celtic Oakham inscribed in ancient stone in America, which proves old world contact long before uh, um, European colonization. And for and people people always attack Barry. That's why I love Barry. I call him my man because he he's been uh, uh, unfairly and unjustly tarred and feathered for decades. People say that his epigraphy doesn't stand up, but that's not true. David H. Kelly, who is a modern day wizard epigrapher, who who I I know from my world uh, in in my end. Uh, culture. David H. Kelly was one of the main people who deciphered the Mayan lexicon. David H. Kelly publicly affirms the work of Barry Fell and Old World Contact pre-colonization. Uh, 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 pre and that's really where, that's a great segue because there is a link to the biblical Nephilim and these Native American paramount chiefs. That's what the Native American called this invasive giant um, population who, who, who ultimately subjugated various Native American tribes at different times. And so I, I feel obligated, you know, your listeners probably know about the Nephilim, but really quickly, just so we know, we're talking about the biblical books of, in, of uh, Genesis, and we're talking about the apocryphal uh, Bible text, the book of Enoch, in, in, which, in which angelic beings interbred with mankind, spawning an invasive race of uh, giant cannibals who were then, their civilization was then uh, eradicated by the, the flood of, of Noah. Okay. Now there were Nephilim descendants present post-flood and, and they were encountered by, by uh, various biblical uh, uh, figures like Moses and Joshua and, and, and they were uh, to be eradicated. And that's where these really harsh edicts come from, from the Hebrew God to annihilate these entire bloodlines, which many people misconstrue as some sort of, uh, you know, 
um, whatever tyrannical uh, act by God, but it's it's really not. He's really trying to eliminate these invasive bloodlines. Um, scientists in Maryland here are trying to do the same thing with snakehead fish, actually. So snakehead fish are invasive to the to the ecosystem here. And so what happens is they grow very, very large and they run amok and eat everything in sight, which is uh, very similar to what the Nephilim, uh, how they are described as being spawned from another environment and then run amok uh, eating everything in, in sight and being very violent and gigantic as well. These are all traits of an invasive uh, species. And, and my point is, I, I think that's reflected. In fact, I know it is for certain based on my other research uh, of the Maya. And, and that, so that really brings us to this relationship between uh, the biblical Nephilim and the archaeological record of not just Jekyll Island, but many islands scattered around the globe hmm. there's an intimate relationship between cannibalistic giants in ancient tradition and the fossil record and remote islands hmm. interesting so let's let's just take a really easy example homer's homer's uh odysseus and his and his odyssey so he gets lost in the Mediterranean. He winds up on this island. They wander into a cave. The cave is full of all sorts of magnificent food. And who comes home but a cannibalistic giant cyclops who then imprisons them in the cave and then they ultimately outsmart him and escape. But it's specifically mentioned that he is an offspring of Poseidon. So that would seem to fit very neatly the biblical tradition of an angelic being, Poseidon, right? An, an Olympian who mates, interbreeds with a mortal, and then they spawn a cannibalistic giant who then is like this cave-dwelling monster, basically. Right. Like an oversized giant monster who antagonizes human beings, yeah. Right, right. And now, okay, now see, people are familiar with that generally, and they say, well, Mark, that's a, that's a myth. That's a fairy tale. The only thing is, it's reflected in the archaeological and fossil record. In those very same islands, we find early humans like Neanderthal. And these are very weird, freaky humans. They're not uh, homo sapiens. If you were to encounter a Neanderthal right now, I submit to you that you would think you saw some sort of ancient monster, and indeed you would have. And they also did practice cannibalism. That's another fact from the archaeological record. Um, it's also a mistake to think of them as ape men. They were not ape men. Um, the more we know about them, the less ape they are and the more sophisticated they become. Um, for example, they were working with tools. Um, they, they had this bitch, uh, uh, excuse me, this pitch uh, bark. So it's tree bark that they somehow process to make sort of a makeshift rubber. The thing about it is, we can't reproduce what they were doing. It seems that they somehow heated this tree bark uh, to industrial furnace level temperatures and, and were able to work with it. Now, that's just one example. Their brains were 20% larger than Homo sapien brains. So um, there were cave uh, dwelling, giant, cannibal, monstrous uh, human-like beings that's that's not mythology it, it's it's reality and they liked um these these islands because it gave them isolated and and uh fortifiable positions 
by which they could ambush uh, human beings that wandered onto their island. Interesting. So how does that lead up to Jekyll Island? So you okay. think that... Yeah, no, go ahead. No, but I mean, what's so there's a background and sure. then this whole thing happens. In sure, what, sure, 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 sure. So, so, so when you get into Native American traditions and the archaeological record of the islands like Jekyll Island, we find things like these mysterious uh, burial mounds, which we know from the excavations and the many reports did often contain uh, the bones of, of giants. Other, other burial mounds were utilized in uh, um, ceremonial purposes in, in which human sacrifices and, and ritualistic cannibalism occurred atop the mounds. So if you think of a mound like a, like a ceremonial platform with the sacred space at the top, that's where rituals would be conducted. And, and these mounds would also be aligned um, with astronomical um, bodies, stars and, and planets and, and whatnot. And so what I'm getting at and how this all ties into Jekyll Island is there was a, a, an ancient demonic legacy of human sacrifice and ritual cannibalism that was transmuted from the old world by the Nephilim descendants to the shores of North America and to Jekyll Island. And that is what occurred uh, on these burial mounds, ancient Nephilim ceremonies of human sacrifice and demonic worship. So do you think that the guys who started the Federal Reserve knew all that? that yes, I do. Yes, I do. When we, we, we often hear this term a lot, it's got a lot of connotations to it, Illuminati. But, but what this term really means is they consider themselves illuminated because they know the true history of the world. And they have successfully kept the rest of human, humanity perpetually in the dark about it. And that is why they call themselves the illuminated ones. And indeed, that that does bring us uh, to. So we've we've covered, I think, well enough the the past of of Jekyll Island, and that does that brings us nicely um, into the into the present. And <clears throat> yes, so okay, so for anybody who's not familiar, let's give them a really quick. Um, just like rundown, uh, uh, you know, the Jekyll Island Club. So, right. So, so in 1910, um, <clears throat> uh, just one, one second here. My mouth, my mouth is, is dry. Yeah, I mean, it's basically a nice club. There were all kinds of stuff going on in Florida too. Like there were clubs, people would travel from New England and travel down, and that's what happened at Jekyll Island. Was all of these powerful figures went and met secretly right on Jekyll Island to discuss the creation of a central bank, which has been, which had been a bone of contention since the founding of the country. Right. That's since right. Uh, yeah. Uh, on his deathbed, Andrew Jackson uh, was asked what he, and, you know, think of, think of Andrew Jackson, what you will, and that's fine. But, but, but Andrew Jackson on his deathbed said that he was, mo when he was asked what he was most proud of his most proud accomplishments, uh, he listed his most proud accomplishment was that he killed the bank. And what he means is he prevented uh, a, 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 a European banking cartel from establishing a central bank here in America, which he knew would take over uh, United States currency. And that's exactly what it did. And that was hatched here, here on Jekyll Island. Right. So that was it. So it was hatched. And then these powerful figures pretty much paid off, cajoled, manipulated people to pass the Federal Reserve Act, I think in 1912. And then That's had right. Woodrow Wilson sign it. Mm -hmm. And that was he said it was his biggest regret. Right. So was, yeah, I have his I have his quote here. We might as well read it. This is this is um, this is good. So this is this is Woodrow Wilson's quote. 
and it's a it's a bit cryptic, but but it's it's generally you know you can very reasonably connect this to uh, what went down at Jekyll Island and and essentially him selling the United States of America to this banking cartel. And this is what Wilson said. I am a most unhappy man. I have unwittingly ruined my country. A great industrial nation is controlled by itself, by its system of credit. Our system of credit is concentrated. The growth of the nation, therefore, and all our activities are in the hands of a few men. We have come to be one of the worst ruled, one of the most completely controlled and dominated governments in the civilized world. No longer a government by free opinion, no longer a government by conviction and the vote of the majority, but a government by the opinion and duress of a small group of dominant men. And then and then Woodrow Wilson conveniently has a stroke. And basically is an invalid. That's right, he did die. So, That's right, he did his die. His wife ran right the country. After that. Yeah, his wife ran the country until the end of his term. Like, right. uh, he was supposed to do certain things, keep us out of World War One, keep out the mm -hmm. Federal Reserve, and then he has a, he has a total, just, you know, he's, he's an invalid. And right. Most, yeah, and, so. and, and just so we cover our, our bases, uh, for all the nerds out there, and, and, I, and I do, I, I, I would like to hang, uh, you know, some wanted posters here so we know who, who exactly we're, we're talking about. So was it November 1910? Uh, you got uh, Senator uh, Aldrich, uh, Treasury Department Andrew. And then, and then these guys were really the the Vander Vanderlip, Benjamin Strong, Paul War, War, Warburg. Paul Warburg was really the key figure uh, in the establishment of there he is uh, in the yeah. establishment of the Federal Reserve. And Warburg, it's important to understand, Warburg doesn't just represent the Warburg family, which itself is this behemoth of a banking dynasty, but he also represents the Rockefellers, and the Rothschilds, as does Benjamin Strong. Um, uh, this They're is friends. Rockefeller, Rothschild, Warburg uh, uh, domination. And, and this is really the moment. I hear people online, or I read them, I should say, arguing about America. Is it a, is it a constitutional monarchy? No, no, no. It's, it's a democracy. I have news for you guys. It's an oligarchy, and it has been since this very day. These men pressured Woodrow Wilson, and they seized from him control of the currency of America, which ultimately gave them control of America, and here we are. Right. What, what is... Uh, what it what did one of the Rothschilds say? I care not who makes the laws; it's who prints the money. You know. Uh -huh. kind of oh, I have another. I have. Yep, that's yes. He did say that. Um, we well, yeah. We might as well drop some Rockefeller quotes. Um, so John D. Rockefeller established. Uh, I think I maybe I mentioned this last time, but it's worth mentioning again. Uh, John D. Rockefeller established the Board of Education, and he said, and I quote. I don't want thinkers. I want workers. So we have to understand this, this uh, establishment of a central bank, this establishment of a social Darwinist um, uh, scientific institution. This was all part of the, the secularization and the enslavement of the people of America, the founding of a secular Darwinist uh, nation. And by the way, this is also the same people in the same time when all this eugenics mess uh, was hatched and it's directly related. Wow. Um, all the, all the Nazi uh, experiments and, 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 and uh, you know, genocide um, and those ideas that are so condemned historically 
Well, they didn't originate the, in Germany. They originated in London and New York. Uh, the Rockefeller Foundation and the, 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 um, the, the RGS, the, the, the Royal Geographic Society, these uh, who are all the same people. This is the big money banking cartel establishment but what what's really really profound about jekyll island is not that they established the federal reserve here it's that they consecrated it with their demonic worship that's why they did it on jekyll island still to this day the wealthiest of the wealthy club members of jekyll island they built their own cottages there and they're still there and you can tour them. Hmm. And the Rockefeller cottage is also known as the Indian mound cottage. Really? Wow. That's amazing. Because directly adjacent to the mansion is an ancient mound. Wow. And this link between modern elites and their sick, practices is a thousand times deeper and darker epstein island and the temple right and you see what we're getting into here is a a a, a deeper understanding pun intended of these islands and their link to nephilim and to demonic worship wow yeah you there's see, a lot yeah, yeah, there's I'm sorry. strange yeah. islands. No, there was another island yeah. outside of D.C. I did a show yeah. with a guy, and mm -hmm. it was like all the elites are there. Mueller lives there, and they're all on some mm -hmm. secluded island on mm -hmm. the weekend. They drive mm -hmm. out of D.C. and go to an island. Yeah, it's crazy. Here in That's Naples. right. You're, you're, you're scratching um, the scab. Uh, there's a lot of pus under that scab that you're scratching at right now. That's crazy. You see, think... It's the answer to this riddle is wrapped up in geology. You see, when when land masses converge or or there's volcanic eruption, islands are created. Every land mass begins as an island. And what that means is subterranean voids. If you think for a moment, um, it, again, we're going to take it back to ancient Greece, where these um, ruling elites like the Ephors would be present atop a mountain or, or perhaps the Oracle of Delphi. So to seek out profound knowledge, you would you would travel as a pilgrim to this holy cult sanctuary. Or in the, I should say, unholy. <laughs> but in, in right. their perspective, it was holy. And, and you would go there and they would commune with the Chthonic, meaning underworld uh, spirits or beings. And then they would relay that information to you. Wow. Yeah, and that's a weird be, word too. Chthonic. C-H-T-H-O-N-I-C. Yeah. 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 Chthonic. Yeah. Very strange uh, word. And, and you see... So islands, it's not just about isolation. It's also about demonic worship because islands, depending on their geology, often contain um, subterranean passages or volcanic tubes. And this gets us into uh, Jules Verne territory and the hollow earth and Charles Hapgood and Albert Einstein and, and Edmund Haley. And, and their endorsement of the theory that there is a subterranean e ecosystem, another another realm, another ecosystem down there. Wow. The point is, there are these voids beneath these islands, which is what makes them sacred to the demon worshiper. And what we have at Jekyll Island is a convergence of the ancient demon worshiper, the Nephilim descendant from the old world, 
And then that legacy is being perpetuated by the modern Nephilim descendant, the ruling elite who still carries that legacy of demonic worship. And that's why they sealed their deal to steal America at Jekyll Island so they could consecrate it with human sacrifice. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. The island I was talking about outside of D.C. is called Gibson Island. Mm, and it's like mm -hmm. Rockefellers are there, mm -hmm. all these rich people. It's, uh, But nobody knows about it. It's actually like some of these places are not discussed with the proles, you know. The proles and the commoners don't get to, provincials don't get to know about this kind of stuff. There's one in Michigan, too. Uh, it's like uh, Deer Island or something. And it actually did get blown open as a pedo. Yes, uh, these rich pedo men were taking. They had like a camp there, and they would yeah, fly, they would fly there, there, fly yep. the kids and rape them. Yeah, exactly. that's terrible. Yeah, I did a show and, on that. There was a huge mm -hmm. back when Detroit was kind of a actual, you know, economic engine. There was like a huge exactly pedo thing in the fifties. Yeah, mm -hmm. I wish I could remember that. What was it? Oh, did you say it was Oak Island? Is that what it's called? I think that one's called Deer Island. Deer Island, I can't. And then there's another island. Uh, I believe it's Lake Huron or Lake Michigan. Um, that's forbidden to explore, and it's called Skull Island. And it's forbidden precisely because there are mounds there and legends of giants. Oh wow! wow. And so you can start to see this correlation. Do you know that the Skull and Bones has an island up in the in one of the uh, Great Lakes? Yes, I. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Is that Deer Island? Island? That's Deer Island. Deer Island. Oh wow! So that's it. Yeah, and that's very super secret too. And I think yep. it's actually depicted in um that movie called Oh yes, Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd. I think it was called. Yes, it in was the about... Good Shepherd. Yeah. That's right with Matt Damon. Yes, I'm glad you brought up movies because that brings us to the next chapter of the present. So Jekyll Island, um, it stopped being a ritzy club, by the way. After World War II, they sold it to the state. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. And the state owns it now. And um, I'm, I'm one day I'm going to plan, I'm going to take a retreat there. But uh, anyway, so a lot of films are uh, a shot at Jekyll Island to this day. One of them, a recent film called The Menu, is interestingly about class struggle. It's about mm. class struggle, and it climaxes with a great deal of murder. And then there's a very strong suggestion to cannibalism at the Interesting. end. Interesting. Now, I'm going to really blow some, some people's minds here. Everybody online is fascinated with Stanley Kubrick's The Shining and wants to know what it all means. Stanley Kubrick is directing you to Jekyll Island in the film The Shining. If you will notice, well, first of all, so Kubrick had some really powerful friends as he was, um, well, he was a wealthy Jewish man living in London. And he was also the premier surreal visual artist. And at that time, people like Rothschilds were absolutely obsessed with uh, surrealist art. And you can see that in the Rothschild uh, ball, at which Stanley Kubrick was certainly present. Hmm. Now, now, Kubrick... Uh, Kubrick's wife actually had a really interesting quote. I can't remember it verbatim, but Kubrick's wife basically had a quote that said, uh, beware about becoming friends with very powerful people because it's dangerous. Wow, interesting. Now, and he was kind of a shut-in. Like he actually yes. went to a place, I think he had a moat or like a big wall and really rarely left his estate is my understanding. Like he, he got out of America for some reason. So. Yeah, and and I, I submit to you that all the juicy secrets that people want to know about from the Kubrick film, Kubrick was working for these people. He was working for them in, in a propaganda fashion uh, in, in, in what we call predictive programming. 
So I'm sure you're familiar, but in case your audience is not, this is a technique by which um, their plans, meaning the elites, are revealed to the public in the media, uh, not, not to taunt you or, or to avoid some karmic retribution, which I've heard both those idiotic theories, but the reason is it's a psychological tactic whereby they are grooming you. They tell you how they are victimizing you. That way, you, it, them victimizing you then becomes normalized and you become more um, submissive to the notion of being victimized. This is a tactic utilized by cult leaders and, and pedophiles uh, to groom their victims. So they're more accepting of the abuse. So that's why they do it. That's, and that's, that's what why I was doing. Yeah, that's why Azwai Chick came out in 1999, because the same people who pulled off 2001 were the people yeah. he was covering in Eyes Wide Shut. It's all that same that's... theme and story and the elites, and they filmed I, I, oh, one of the uh, mentioning Eyes Wide Shut things. Yeah, mentioning Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, that is, I submit to you the uh, the Rothschild surrealist ball that he is depicting in Eyes Wide Shut, and he died suddenly while doing so. And I don't think that's a coincidence either. I think he was um, old. He probably he either was off or he was on the last thing. I think that was. I, I was going to say he 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 was you know he he was struggling physically, so it, I don't know. But I will say it it seems like he may have. Kubrick was such a crafty devil that he may have been playing both sides against uh, uh, the middle. And he may have been working for them in a propaganda fashion, but he may have uh, been violating their protocols uh, regardless. Um, because I, I hear he I hear he ran afoul uh, of his of his masters, but I can't I can't I can't validate that anyway. He had to have known that the moon landing was faked, so yes. the public was befuddled. But he had to have known and had yes. seen all of the Masons. I mean, there's pictures of him with like another Mueller who was the head of NASA. That's right. And a lot of these guys were heavily involved in masonry. All of the astronauts were masons. So he had to have seen this kind of secret society element and sense that very perceptible, perceptive guy, very intelligent. Definitely. And I, I think yet. he betrayed them. I, I think he, because he was such a fanatic about his art that I think he decided to encrypt the ugly truth into his art, not their propaganda. And they said, no, 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 Stanley, uh, you're going to make the propaganda the way we want you to make the propaganda. But Stanley was like a child in a sandbox, like it's my film. And he, you know, I, I think he overstepped and I think they whacked him out. Um, but it's interesting, but just, too. One yeah. element of Eyes Wide Shut is that he usually had total control over his projects. So mm -hmm. he would have the final cut like that's was the standard. That was his part of his artistry, right? To have the final right. say. But when he produced, when he gave his final cut to the execs, they're like, no, we got to cut this stuff out. So we don't even know what the real intentional intention right. of Kubrick was for Eyes Wide Shut. But what, what do you what do you think is the connection between The Shining and Jekyll Island? Like, what, okay. what are the hints? To so, it? so, if, so really quickly for anyone who's not familiar Kubrick was completely obsessive about every frame that he shot so when you see a big object in center frame you know he did this deliberately and driftwood is heavily featured as a thematic uh, symbol in Kubrick's The Shining the, they're, they're high up in the Sierra Mountains there's no driftwood up there in the film Driftwood makes absolutely no sense uh, in terms of the, the setting of the film, but it makes absolute perfect sense uh, in terms of uh, uh, Jekyll Island. And if you pay careful attention in the film, there's many more references to everything I just mentioned. Uh, cannibalism. There's a cannibalism reference real early in, in the film. Um, there's reference to 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 hostile savage native american tribes a reference to cannibalism then we've got the driftwood 
But the big revelation is the final climactic scene, the final shot, which has everyone so um, so puzzled. It's this picture of Jack, the protagonist of the film, and he's standing there and he's he's doing the Baphomet symbol with his hands. And a man has his hand on his shoulder. And that man in the photograph, oh, and the date is New Year's Eve of, um, or I, I forget the exact date, but, but the date is the date when Woodrow Wilson gave his I'm an unhappy man speech. Oh, wow. And, and the date is also, they're, they're having a New Year's Eve party. Yeah, it's 1921. That's right. Which is their consecration celebration of their conquest of America at Jekyll Island. There's also various references throughout the film to child abuse, to witchcraft, to genocide, and um, and to child sexual abuse as well. Oh, and there's direct reference to the Council of Foreign Relations. Wow. Uh, the committee of the 300 that's actually them that's what Kubrick is showing you Kubrick is showing and, and see Shining as Kubrick explains in the film he says when something happens it leaves a, a, an echo it leaves some trace of it behind and he explains some people shine and he explains some places shine and that is Kubrick telling you the profound nature of Jekyll Island, just like I have. Kubrick understood um, this convergence of the ancient and the modern uh, that can be discovered at, at Jekyll Island. Right, so that under-indigenous thing, the whole movie is, is full of Indian symbolism, tapestry, art. It's actually filmed at the Iwani Hotel part of it um in yosemite and the awani is a as an american native tribe so oh, and and kubrick makes a direct link to everything i was just telling you about remember how i mentioned um nephilim dwelling subterranean greek islands and devouring people well there are several references to the minotaur and the labyrinth throughout the film and of course, for anybody who's not familiar, the, the Minotaur is the Greek myth of the demonic hybrid who is imprisoned in a maze beneath uh, the king's palace. And that's the last and, scene, right? So Jack, Jack right, the Minotaur, it, yeah. It, exactly. So Kubrick is directing you to the same things that I am now. We are communing with the spirit of Stanley Kubrick right now. And in doing so, um, we are sharing the illumination, the true history of America and the world. And that really leads us into the future, which is their plan, their demonic, satanic plan coming to fruition. And, and that leads us into really dark places where you talk about um, artificial intelligent governed cities and depopulation and digital currency and neo-paganism state mandatory one world government neo-paganism right. and and that's the world we're headed into and I, I i would be remiss it would be remiss if i didn't bring up the scripture matthew and they asked christ you know what's up with this end times when is this going to occur and Christ informs them when when we come full circle and return to the days of Noah. And that's really what we're talking about. This legacy being carried on, this demonic worship legacy being carried on from old Babylon, old Persia, old Egypt, old Canaan. Uh, from those Greek islands we mentioned. And for anybody who thinks that's that's mythology, I direct you to the archaeologist Josephine Quinn, the archaeologist uh, Vera Tesler, the archaeologist uh, Turner and Turner, 
they've proven that this ritualistic cannibalism occurred in North America, in Central America, in the Mediterranean. So this is real. And, and um, these people and their cult still exist. And they, they, seek to, they seek to enslave the world. That is, their, that is their agenda. That is their goal. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Then, like uh, the arches of ba- Baal have shown up in major cities, New York. So That's they're right. resurrecting the old world. The old is new. The old is present. So there's we're nothing haunted, new under the sun. Just like Jekyll Island, haunted. Just like the Shining the Overlook Hotel, we're all kind of haunted. It's a haunted space. Yeah. Um, we are at the hour mark here, Mark. We're. Uh, how would you like to kind of wrap this up? I mean, Jekyll Island, the. the they, they, we were talking kind of in the pre-show how the Fed is, you know, being prevented from creating a CBDC mm-hmm. by the Congress, which is very strange. It's like a curtailment of its power. I don't know if it's ever really done that. Uh, Congress has ever really done that. But uh, the Fed is still there, still active, still able to pump and dump the entire economy. What, uh, what do you think is going to happen now and in the future? Well, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in in biblical prophecy. So I see the establishment of a one world demonic empire, and I see it as inevitable. And everything I see every day confirms uh, my belief because I see globalization. I see digital currency. I see neo-paganism. I see the total undermining, you know, I just saw all these people in Berlin who were, they were like peacefully protesting and they were were all barking like dogs because they want to identify as dogs. This is the return to the days of Noah. This is a complete inversion of codes of morality. And it's a slippery slope. And before you know it, people will be uh, fornicating in demonic orgies in public. I mean, that's already happening. Burning Man is a satanic orgy in the desert. And and so you can see, so that's where, that's where I see this going. I see the mark right, of the beast is digital currency. Right. Um, but they're ultimately doomed in 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 uh, in, in my in the prophecy I subscribe to. Um, they lose. They Burning lose Man ultimately. is just a wicker man. It's just a modern wicker man, right? So yeah. this is another theme of the old becoming new or becoming present or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there's a really a lot of these elites. Their religion is not Christianity. It's something else. It's the old world religion that you see in. Eyes wide shut. I think that's what Kubrick was telling us. That's why. Yeah. Oh, and I I I found this this uh, quote. I was searching for it earlier. So this is David Rockefeller, and he says, "If the Council on Foreign Relations raises the hackles of the conspiracy theorists, the Bilderberg meetings must induce apocalyptic visions of omnipotent international bankers plotting with unscrupulous government officials." to impose cunning schemes on an ignorant and unsuspecting world. And he's just being honest with you. Yeah, I was laying it and, up. and that's exactly who they are. And, um, and, and, and all of this that we see now, these smart cities and these initiatives and these uh, suspicious disasters that aren't really disasters, but but meteorological weapons and whatnot, right? Um, I I see uh, there there I see an old Nephilim agenda to reduce the population and and enslave them. I agree, but they're going to get rid of the current population and replace it with slaves, easily controlled, mm-hmm. and reshape them into almost kind of like permanent serfs. This this yeah. kind of uppity the uppity. Kind of uh, Americans are going to get be dusted off and killed. Yeah. You know? So it's bad. It's a bad thing. Uh, Mark, where can people reach out to you? I mean, you have a website, okay. right? So- yeah. So um, we we have a, an Instagram account, my uh, underscore apocalyptic underscore chronicles. 
And then there's the, the matching website is myapocalypticchronicles.com. We are hosting a retreat October 13 through 16. You can sign up at the at the website. Uh, we also I also have a, a Patreon. It's a, a Mark Carpenter at, at Patreon. Um, please consider supporting us. Uh, you're warmly invited to the retreat. Be uh, Kentucky Lake, um, Tennessee. We're going to talk about these same type of convergences. And uh, please support us. Uh, please follow and like, uh, support the blog, subscribe to the blog. And, and um, we would love to have you at the retreat. And if not, please support us on Patreon because we fight an uphill battle every day. Um, there's, there's psychological and, and spiritual and biological warfare going on. And uh, whether people want to acknowledge that or not, it's, it's, it's real. And uh, that's why I appreciate you having me on. And I, I appreciate what you do because yeah. it, it gives it gives a voice uh, to the public. Yeah, well, I appreciate you spending time. Really fascinating conversation. I think I'll re re rename this one the haunting or the ghosts of Jekyll Island. I think that's more apropos. For what we're yeah, she's about, she's uh, got some very disturbing skeletons in her yeah, closet. No doubt. So it's Mark A. Carpenter website again is my apocalypticchronicles.com i'll put that in the show notes thank you so much for your time yeah thank you i appreciate it stay there stay there